Merry Christmas. So glad to see you could be here with us tonight. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to spend just a few minutes contemplating the incarnation together. Lord, we thank you uh, for this beautiful day that you've created. We thank you for this season in which we celebrate uh, what you have done for us by coming here to us, that you are God with us, that you are not far off. And we thank you that that is true. We pray tonight that as we think on these things, that we would see them afresh today. That we would see them in ways that we've never seen them before. That we would be overwhelmed with the glory of what you've done for us. We pray that you would be the one that teaches us, that leads us and guides us. We pray that our our hearts would be overflowing with praise as we leave this place today. In awe over who you are and what you've done for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you take your uh, bulletin that you picked up on your way in, you'll see there, uh, I think it's on page three, right on the first inside, where we normally have our reflection of the words to a song, a song called A Stick, A Carrot, and A String. Uh, and they are printed in your bulletin uh, because I'm going to talk a little bit about that song. Uh, it's become probably my favorite Christmas song that I listen to multiple times every day from the beginning of December up through Christmas. I listen to it over and over because it tells the story of what Jesus has come to do and it tells it fully. And so if you would just look at the words with me, I'm going to read it for us as we look at it together. But it says the horse's hay beneath his head. Our Lord was born to a manger bed that all whose wells run dry could drink of his supply to keep him warm. The sheep drew near so grateful for his coming here. You come with news of grace. Come to take my place. The donkey whispered in his ear, child in 30 some odd years, you'll ride someone who looks like me untriumphantly. While the cardinals warbled a joyful song, he'll make right what man made wrong, bringing low the hills that the valleys might be filled. Then child asked the birds, well, aren't they lovely words we sing? But the tiny baby lay there without saying anything. At a distance stood a mangy goat with crooked teeth and a matted coat. Weary eyes and warned, chipped and twisted horns, thinking maybe I'll make friends someday with the cows and the pins and the rambouille. But for now, I'll keep away. I've got nothing smart to say. But there's a sign on the barn in Cabbage Town. When the rain picks up and the sun goes down, sinners come inside with no money coming by. No clever talk nor gift to bring requires our lowly, lovely king. Come you empty handed. You don't need anything. And the night was cool and clear as glass with a sneaking snake in the garden grass as deep cried out to deep. The disciples fast asleep and the snake perked up when he heard you asked if you're willing that this cup might pass. We could find our way back home, maybe start a family of our own. But does not the father guide the son? Not my will, but yours be done. What else here to do? What else me but you? And the snake who held the world, a stick, a carrot and a string was crushed beneath the foot of you're not wanting anything. And I love that song because it tells the Christmas story, but it tells it from a little different perspective than maybe we normally think of it, but it tells it fully. And so I love that, and I come back to it over and over to be reminded of the glory of what God has done for us in Jesus. See, oftentimes at Christmas, uh, we gather on Christmas Eve, we do this as tradition, but also to worship but sometimes we can get into the habits of what we do each year and it becomes kind of rote or we fall into, uh, oh, well, that's what we do. And then it becomes tradition, which is great, but then it can easily be we start to 
become so familiar with these things that we miss the magnitude of what it is that we're celebrating. And so sometimes it's helpful to look at things from a slightly different perspective. It helps us to see it afresh. And so this song talks about Jesus being born. And if you, as we, as we just read and you look at it, the first half of it is all about the animals gathering around him as he's being laid in the manger. And you start to see from their perspective different things. The sheep and the donkey drawing near. The donkey whispering in his ear. The cardinals singing a song. You've got the mangy goat standing up far away. The kind of outcast longing to be included. And you start to get this picture of all of creation down to the very lowliest of animals in awe that he's here. And I love that picture. Now, I know when you hear that and when I read that to you, you go, okay, that's kind of cool. It's poetic. But it's kind of a stretch, isn't it? I mean, the Bible doesn't say anything about the animals. <laughs> it doesn't say what they were thinking. <laughs> the animals aren't conscious. They're not having all these thoughts and going through their head. And so you go, okay, yeah, it's poetic, but maybe it's a little bit of a stretch, a little bit over the top, maybe. It's not like the, the animals were saying anything. But when I read through scripture and I read the fullness of the anticipation of the Messiah coming, I don't know that it's that big of a stretch. You know, Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And Paul is saying that we collectively, even today, are still awaiting Jesus' second coming. And that we feel the the struggles of earth, uh, of this world, of this life, each and every day. And we're longing for that rescue to come. But then even in First uh, Peter chapter 1, the Apostle Peter writes a letter to the early church that's really struggling, and he writes to encourage them. And in First Peter chapter 1, he's talking about what God has done in Jesus, and then he's come, and he says, concerning the salvation that the prophets prophesied about, and all these things they said. And then he gets to the end of verse 12, and he says, things into which angels long to look. I love that line. That Peter says, with Jesus now coming and his finished work and what he's done, you have seen what angels long to look into, to see. And so when I read those passages and I think about the creation bearing the weight of sin, how everything has been affected, it's been marred by our rebellion against our creator, right? Romans 8 says that so clearly, it's groaning under the weight of it. And then I see the problems that are all around us in our world, right? You turn on the TV and you see shootings and you see disease and you see tsunamis happening and you see school shootings where people go in and mercilessly kill people for no reason. And you see those things and you're just taken aback at how awful it is. And you see that on grand scope, but we also see it in our lives. We see it in our relationships and the things that are going on around us. We see it in friends being sick. We see it in the sadness. We see it in grief. We see it in relational hurt and unforgiveness and lowliness and all the difficulties of this life kind of pressing in on us all around us. 
And I think we all could say we're longing for things to be set right. We're longing for things to be better. And so it's that backdrop that we see Jesus coming into the world. God has said all the way throughout history that he was going to fix this problem. And as the Bible unfolds and as the the revelation of what God has given us, we progressively see it. It becomes clearer and clearer that God's going to fix the problem. And the way he's going to fix the problem is he himself is going to come. And that starts to become clearer and clearer as we get to the prophets. And they start to tell us how and what that looks like. That Emmanuel, God with us, is coming. And he's going to come to us. And that's what we celebrate on Christmas That first Christmas night, he comes and it's the culmination of the promise. And as he arrives, the backdrop is the longing and the hurts of our hearts. The struggle and the pain of this world. And when I put it in those terms and I think of it in that way, with that backdrop, I don't have a problem characterizing that maybe just maybe the birds were singing the prophet Isaiah. He'll make right what man made wrong, bringing low the hills that the valleys might be filled. That the animals were gathering around in anticipation. He is here. I don't have a problem saying that because even when we look in scripture and what it tells us, I know that's a poetic retelling, but even what Luke read to us earlier from Luke chapter two, right? Jesus is born and tells us, uh, in verse seven, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and lied him and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. But then verse eight says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, For behold, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The the things that angels longed to look was now happening. And it was happening and they had to tell somebody. And they went to those shepherds and they showed up. And they're going to, you're not going to believe what's happened. He's here. Christ, the one, the promised one, the Messiah is now here. And the angels show up and they tell him, and and I got to tell you, we we read that. Did you not hear Luke read that? And immediately think of, I think of like, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas and they stand up and they read the passage and all these memories flood in and all these things around Christmas that are good. There's nothing wrong with them, but we can forget what those angels are actually saying. He's now here. And they're telling those shepherds that he's here. And sometimes we miss that. We miss the glory of what is being said here. But as that angel finishes telling the shepherds, it says in verse 13, and suddenly with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels couldn't contain themselves, right? An angel shows up and he tells those shepherds and then all of a sudden the sky peels back and there they are singing a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. He's here. What a beautiful picture 
And so I think about the excitement of that. And then I read in that song, as I listen to it, it says the donkey whispered in his ear, child in some 30 odd years, you'll ride someone who looks just like me untriumphantly. And what I love about the song is it tells us why they were so excited. You know the reference there. In 30 some odd years, you'll ride a donkey and it'll be untriumphantly. If you know the gospels, you know the story of Jesus's life. It's pointing ahead to Jesus riding in on a donkey on Palm Sunday. He won't ride in on a horse. He won't ride in as a conquering military leader. He will ride in in humility on the back of a donkey. And he will ride in knowing full well that setting his face in great humility to lay down his life. So often we get to Christmas, we talk about joy and peace and the baby and the manger. And it's yes, 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 all those things. But if we stop there, we don't get the whole story. It's not just a baby coming to be the perfect example, but it is the king coming to be the perfect sacrifice to destroy sin and death forever. So if you would read just those last two stanzas one more time with me. And the night was cool and clear as glass with a sneaking snake in the garden grass and deep cried out to deep the disciples fast asleep. And the snake perked up when he heard your heard you ask. If you're willing that this cup might pass, we could find our way back home, maybe start a family all our own. Does not the father guide the son, not my will, but yours be done. What else here to do? What else me but you? And the snake who held the world, a stick, a carrot, and a string, was crushed beneath the foot of your not wanting anything. Do you know the reference? It's talking about the Garden of Gethsemane. A couple hours before Jesus will be arrested or minutes before he'll be arrested, a couple of hours before he'll be put to death. And he goes off to pray and his disciples fall asleep as he asks them to pray. And he bows down his head to the ground. Scriptures tell us that he's sweating blood in agony of about what is going to unfold. And he asks the father, if there be any other way, if this cup can pass, if there's another way to do this, this would be the time to tell me. And what we know from scripture is that when he says, may this cup pass, the cup he's talking about that we see all throughout the Old Testament is the cup of God's wrath. Because what Jesus is about to do is he's going to go to the cross and he's going to take on the sin of all those that would put their faith in him. And he is going to bear the holy, righteous anger of God on our behalf. He says, if there's any other way, this would be the time to tell me. And then he gets up and he says, not my will, but your will be done. And he walks directly into it and lays his life down for us, crushing the serpent in his head that we can be freed. The serpent that represents Satan, sin and death, evil in the world. Jesus brings it to its end in what he's doing. And so I love this song because it points the whole picture, brings you to the whole picture creation with bated breath waiting that he's here but it doesn't just stop at the manger it points you to the cross and what he's done and i don't know if you've noticed this but when you read the traditional christmas stories it's actually there it's right in it from the very beginning matthew chapter one 
An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The story of Christmas begins in the manger, but the story of Christmas is always about the cross and what Jesus has come to do. It's always about him coming to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, taking our sin, paying the penalty that we deserve, and that by grace through faith that we can be restored to the Father. And so I love that middle line. It says, sinners come inside with no money coming by, no clever talk nor gift to bring requires our lowly, lovely king. Come you empty-handed, you don't need anything. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are our savior that you are our king, that you are the perfect sacrifice, that you have done for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. I pray that as we celebrate Christmas with all the wonderful things that go with it, as we spend time with family, as we share meals, as we gather together, we pray that right at the heart of all of it would be your glory and what you've done for us. I pray that we would see so clearly that the greatest gift of Christmas is what you've done for us in Jesus and what he has purchased for us, that we can have perfect relationship with our creator because of his sacrifice on our behalf. And we say, thank you. We pray that we would leave here today overwhelmed with the glory of this truth. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.